0: Hello and welcome to the N Seventeen podcast. My name is Cosmo, and tonight I'm joined by Eddie. Yo, and I'm joined by Jed. Yo, Eddie, I was I was very careful to go to you at the right time there because uh, we did re- try recording before. I kind of messed up the intro, literally, as you were about to throw an Eminem M and M into your mouth. So, and I was trying to be I was trying to be very careful with that.
1: thanks, be thanks for being considerate about my <laughs> inconsideration, my the time. I mean.
0: you're welcome man you're welcome and we were we were also saying just on the on the first record how buzzing jed must be for antonio conte's departure to finally be announced this it's been a long struggle jed it's been a long struggle
2: it's tough bro I, i didn't think it was ever gonna happen man
0: yeah yeah we were saying like i think over the so in the end it was what eight days since his since his rant um after the southampton game and it felt like it was never coming like he was literally due to take charge of training uh the following day um obviously he had no intention of coming back from italy i mean look at look at him on that ryanair flight that they put on twitter you that was a guy with no intention of ever of ever going back to work i saw i saw someone trying to finesse it and be like oh no he's not watching netflix on his ipad like he's watching like um he's watching training videos back this shows how much he still cares i was just like no way there's no way, bro. He was bro. Damn, that
1: guy's man. watching Vikings Valhalla, bro. He, ain't, he definitely he, he's watching season four of you. He ain't watching training.
0: <laughs> what do you reckon? What you reckon he's into? What Netflix shows do you reckon he's into? Power. <laughs> Power.
1: <laughs> you just know that he. You know that he binge watched Narcos when it came out for sure. For sure.
2: He might. he might be into Ozark. That guy must be money laundering, laundering somewhere, bro. <laughs>
1: that's yeah. a how-to for him yeah him, him, him <laughs> and yeah that might be, be a little t-
0: that might be a little too close to, to home for them guys yeah that's just a documentary on how they operate but <laughs> Jed's obviously Conte's gone so the figurehead has has disappeared but apart from his brother also leaving all of the staff have remained the same what's, what's your views on that? What, what, how do you interpret that? Uh, I
2: when I first saw it i was I was fuming like i thought I thought I would, I'd be happy that um Conte was gone but for me it just seems like obviously I think by the end of it because of the Southampton rant it became more about it became more about that than it did the the style of play and I think for a lot of us fans there's been a few things with Conte which is obviously meaning us wanting him to be gone um I think. First and foremost was style of play. Maybe not even first and foremost. I think first and foremost for me was the fact that, I mean, we've, we've said it loads of times, but he just didn't really seem to care about the club or want to be here. So first and foremost that. Then you have the fact that we were probably the worst team to watch in the league. And I don't, I'm not just saying that. I genuinely do think we must have been one of the worst teams to watch in the league, especially in that period where we just wouldn't play for the first half. Um, which ended up being, being the norm because everyone thought, oh, yeah, it might just be a thing before the World Cup. It's obviously some sort of, um, they've, they've come up with a plan for this and then we're somehow going to come out the other side of the World Cup better for it. But we, we've just been awful all season. It's, it's very rare that you can, you can only count the number of good performances on one hand in one season. Um, so, yeah, for me, the fact that Stellini is still there, obviously Mason's still there, that's fine. Mason seems like he's always going to be there, no matter what. Um, it just seems like it's more of the same without all the noise, and I don't really know how I feel about that going forward. Yeah, the one thing I would say about
0: that is, in a lot of those games where it was only Stellini, mm. even though the the formation and whatnot stayed the same, I do think we saw some interesting things, like the, the tactical elements against City, um, I also do think that like, we just generally played with a bit more verve when Conte wasn't there, which makes me think that potentially he just his vibe was just dragging everyone down. It's an odd one because I think, I I suppose most of us kind of expected only Mason to come in. I don't think many of us expected us to kind of appoint a permanent manager straight away to see out the rest of the season, although that was apparently one of the rumours coming out was that's what Levy was looking to do, but... I mean, we said it before with Poch. We were like, we wouldn't want Poch to come back in in the tail end of the season, given the toxicity. And there's no point in not giving him a fresh start. But I think all managers must have felt like that. So, you know what? I don't mind it too much because I think Stellini has been kind of, he has been a positive influence when he has come in. Obviously, Sheffield United did happen under his watch. And I don't know if I'm being too favourable in my reading of this, but I do think that... um, I do think Conte was, was meddling more by that stage, uh, which does kind of seem like I, I'm just looking at all the positive results down to Stellini and all the negative ones down to Conte, but we knew he was coming back like the very next game. So I feel like you could almost plot, plot it on a graph where the games where Conte had just gone to recover or for surgery, then we actually played a lot better. And when he neared his return, we were, we were getting worse and I mean, you know, for a for a supposed world-class manager, that is kind of insane to say that uh, Stellini, who's only managed in Seri Che and uh, Mason, were kind of like doing so much more like interesting things. But yeah, I've kind of rambled on there a little bit. Eddie, what do you make of it? Safe pair of hands?
1: Um, I think that this is the kind of best case scenario because... When you break down what has actually been said, a Conte is left by mutual agreement. That's really important because there were like kind of conversations about around the legality of like the the sacking, how much we'll have to pay, um, and it seems that there's there, like Conte and the club came to like an arrangement that makes sense for both parties because um, it wasn't like a like a sacking, you know. We hadn't relieved Conte of his duties. He left by mutual agreement, um, and I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing Stellini and Mason um, taking over. Because I think part of it was that okay, you, you, you know, you can leave, or like part of it was that you can you can leave, or we can leave by mutual consent. But it gives like Stellini the platform, like as like kind of like a compromise. Um, like Stellini's still going to carry on roughly the same ideas that Conte was working on. Um, and also in my opinion, it like saves space for Conte. Like we're not scrapping everything with 10 games to go for the rest of the season. Um, so I think there's a little bit of that at play. Um, and then the other thing is that it's just, it's convenient. Ryan Mason's been a caretaker manager for the club before and, um, are, you know, between Jose and um, Nuno. Um, and um, Stellini has managed before, although the experience isn't, like, top level. He's managed before and he's also been working with Conte for over a decade. So it is a it's a marriage of, I think, uh, you know, convenience and also... Um, just kind of like you said, making sure that the next manager that does come in isn't walking into a complete dumpster fire. Like um, because we're staring down the barrel of a pretty difficult run in. I'm not even talking about the fixtures, which are gonna be difficult. Um, but it's just the fact that there's so much pressure on them. Um if Conte was in and if we brought in a new manager. But I think the pressure's off a little bit for Stellini and Mason. I don't think this season's going to be looked back on too fondly. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I, I'm the same, really. Um, I do think one of the, the interesting things uh, to come out was the fact that we, you know, I, I sent this into the group chat and I was like, what the hell are we playing that? Is that Paratici's just been involved in a social media video um, explaining kind of like why... Conte was sacked and, and whatnot, and it's just such, such, like, brain-dead PR, I think, because I think pretty much every Spurs fan wants Paratici out of the club, no matter where you stand on Enoch or whatever. It's really embarrassing to have a guy whose court case that was meant to take place yesterday and was suspended um, come out today and, like, talk to the fans. It's like, right, you you don't...
1: that from Ken, it looks like. <laughs> yeah, that
0: probably was. Though. Probably was I. I just don't get it at all, and like, it just makes you think. Like, what are this? What is the club doing? Why is he still there? Do, do any of you guys have any theories as to why he's actually still there?
1: I think there must be an indication that, like we said in the chat earlier today, there must be. It must be an indication that we want to move forward or continue with this director of football, um, type way of working, and that. We're not going to get rid of Paratici Parati- 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 mm-hmm. unless we've got a replacement for him. Maybe there's there's that element. or maybe it's the fact that like he might help with negotiations um, even if it's not an Italian manager um, or a manager from Syria. But we've seen his ability to negotiate um, <laughs> whether or not they're all legal. There's another thing. Um, but we've seen his ability to negotiate some some good deals for the players that we've got on, on underneath him, whether it be Romero, Kurosevsky, Bentoncore. Um, these types of deals have been good. I mean, even Basuma, for instance, the fees that we've managed to pay for these players and like the structuring of the deals have been like beneficial for the club. Um, and it's meant that we haven't had to pay so much of it up front. Um, and I think when you're when you're considering, you know, deserve his release clause or whatever clause um, in the summer or like how much you may have to pay for different managers compensation wise, he might be useful for that. Uh, I could just be chatting out my arse and he could be like sacked with him by next week. But it just goes to indicate just kind of like the confusion at the club because one in one moment a journalist is saying, yeah, he's gonna take over training on Tuesday. And then the next tweet is he's been sacked. So there just seems to be a lot of kind of information or disinformation surrounding the club, um, and I think maybe Conte going and then Paratici going, but Stellini staying. Like maybe it was all too much in one go. But the fact mm. that he's made a video that's club, like like front facing is confusing.
2: It didn't need to be. It didn't need to be done.
1: Mm-hmm. There was no,
2: no reason for them. We knew the situation. We didn't need him to come out and clarify the situation. Uh, it's
1: statement.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it's like it's not even like it's just the fans that are uncertain about his future. The club are obviously uncertain about it as well. There's been a lot of news coming out saying that we're we're looking to get rid of him and potentially replacing him. There was even a link a couple of weeks ago saying that we're doing our due do- diligence diligence on other sporting directors now as well which again I'm happy with a sporting director model um and I'd like to see us continue that but it's, it's like they're, they're obviously not they're obviously not planning for the future with him so I don't I, I hear your point Eddie and, and maybe it is too much in one go to get rid of everyone um but the, the fact that we're now going into a managerial search and he's supposedly leading <laughs> He's he's basically doing this list for us, and once again, the list is: you've got Enrique, you've got who else is on the list? You had Tuchel, who was who was obviously top of the list. Um, I think uh, Con- Glasner was on it. Glasner, and then Conceição. Sal- Sal- Conce Sal- How and this is this? I'm saying the the people higher up at the club. How can you look at that? That is your sporting director, and you see that list of names. All very good managers in their own right, but all completely different managers. How do you look at that and think, yeah, that's the guy who needs to be leading this search for the new manager? Because there's there's no direction. Yeah, I think um one of the guys on the athletic pod, they
0: like they raised a really interesting point where it seems like the strategy at Spurs is to just It's exactly what you were saying, Jed, is just to get someone in, like get the manager in and then build out the strategy from that. There's no kind of like forward thinking where they're like, okay, this is where we want to go and let's get a manager in that's appropriate for that kind of plan. It just seems get someone in and then we'll just change everything, which is obviously going to be chaotic because say we have a repeat of the 2021 summer where we're scrambling around for managers Obviously, I I don't expect it to be as extreme as that because I would hope that they've learned their lessons. But say we do, you, you every single day, that's missed, you're you're missing out on the chance to like build relationships with agents and being able to forward plan transfers. Um, so yeah, Jed, like you say, like the fact that there's such different profiles of managers there, it just means that all of our planning is basically on hold. Which mm. for a football club, when you're up against you know teams with oil money teams with you know traditional big club status as well we can't afford to do that and yet we we do it more often than not um and it's really holding the club back and i think in terms of like criticism of of enic i think that's that's one of the the largest thing um one of the largest criticisms um jed when you did mention the sporting director search sorry eddie i'll I'll come to you in a It does bring me to one of my favourite questions I've ever got, which is from Glenn. After all the talk with the next manager, who should replace Paratici? I, I just want to I just wanna know how many sporting
2: directors we could even name, to be
0: honest. I, um, like, it's not like a common thing.
2: No, I, I don't know many sporting directors by name, innit? but you, can, I think you can just look around the clubs in Europe that are doing like very good stuff with their recruitment and their strategy. And in that sense, for me, Spurs are like a very old-fashioned club in a way, where like we still haven't seemed to branch out into like the data side of things yet. And if you look at uh, a lot of the clubs in in England and Germany and all like Austria and those sort of countries, they've been they've been on this sort of train for a while now, and it, it seems to be the way forward. If you invest a lot in data, you generally get good results. You see it working really well at Brentford and Brighton. And then you don't have this like when you're coming to get rid of a new manager, you're just scrambling around for any any big name. If you have some sort of joined up thinking, it makes things so much easier. And I don't I don't understand how the club just can't see this. Um, I think even Arsenal now. And look, I'm not saying that like data like is like the thing that makes clubs successful. Like it, it plays a big part, but it's just the way it's just the way modern football is now. And I think we're we're in that's in that side of things, we're very far behind the rest of the European football. Um, but in terms of like other sporting directors' names, I would have I probably know about two or three if, uh, at most. Yeah, I'd say, say
0: Paul team Mitchell, teams. Campos, and uh, isn't Rui Costa Ma- one?
2: Marco, Ed, Marcus Edwards at Liverpool. Yeah, well. yeah. yeah. Michael,
1: Michael, 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 Michael. Sorry.
2: Uh, uh, Newcastle got that uh, Dan Ashworth from Brighton. I only know him because obviously Brighton are like really good. Mm-hmm. The
1: one that I know that like potentially kind of like left fielders like Zork, and he's at Dortmund. Um, yeah, and he's yeah. done like, amazing things with like the budget that they have. Mm.
2: Um, yeah,
1: that's about it. You can't even name like ten. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, you just need to look at the clubs that are, that are like have, have a really successful model. It's not. It's not just about that, like, knowing the names for us, like anyway. Obviously, as as a professional football club, you should you should know that sort of stuff. I think what's yeah.
0: strange is that Spurs have tried to follow a sporting director model for so long, since when we got Camoli in the mid two thousands, and yet, even though we've been probably at the the forefront of doing it in England, we're probably the furthest behind. It's
2: That's always, the thing that makes bad, no like, sense. Always bad execution. I said mm-hmm. it with, with attitude. It's like the idea is it's good it's a modern way of, of, of running a football club now but it's just the execution every single time it seems to be and we have Paul Mitchell who who is very good don't get me wrong Um, and he did bring in some good players but for whatever reason that that relationship didn't work out I can't remember if he had a falling out with Levy or or something like that but
0: I think it was something along those lines I think he wasn't happy with levy not backing his vision enough but I think also um Poch didn't really back him that much um there is a feeling that Poch could have done more to to save him um yeah. but Poch was all too happy to step into a complete like old school managerial role which is looking back on it it's kind of remarkable that that even happened um because that's very much like an old school move to have mm. your man your Head coach doing all, all of the management and essentially taking on like sporting director responsibilities.
1: Yeah. Bielsa, Bielsa, he's the school of Bielsa, which Bielsa is the same kind of. He <coughs> wants like, control over everything, so it makes sense in that in that context.
0: Yeah, yeah, I just I just feel like for Spurs to actually like yield to that was is kind of yeah, yeah it was yeah. wild that that happened, I really.
1: Think, I think the problem with what we that we've like brought up essentially is just that. You can even like it's pre- it's prevented us from making good changes. Even last summer, because the opportunity was there to have Ten Hag. He interviewed for the club, shared the vision of what he wanted to, to do with the club, and for whatever reason, they just didn't. Yeah, they weren't they weren't ready to 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 go with that vision. And you know who knows, like the amount that United, the spending power that United do have, um, you know, we don't have the same, but he hasn't spent like a crazy amount of money. We probably spent around similar amounts of money between us and United. Um, And to think about like how much they've been able to progress from where they were to, to like where they are now, they've still got a long way to go, but you can tell that they're moving in a direction with Ten Hag. And, I don't know how we managed to interview him and for whatever reason we're like, no, nah, he doesn't fit the vision of the club. And that's just because we don't know what the vision of the club is. Or at least the club don't know what the vision of the club is. Because we mentioned this in the previous podcast. Aside from Potch, for the last decade, over a decade, we've had managers that don't play good football. Mm. Uh, who don't play attacking football. And that's meant to be the identity of the club. And the fact that we've now got to this managerial search, and we're seeing a list of five names, and they're all practically the opposite from each other on just a short list, let alone a long list, is worrying. It feels like us, again being quite scattershot. Now, it, whether it's us like being paranoid or being kind of overcritical, whether even any of these names are like reason, like you know, realistic targets for us is another thing. But if we are led to believe, if we are to believe what we're led to believe um, with regards to like the targets that um, Paratici or or, or the club are looking at, you just don't see a clear vision. And it's the same, it was the same last, uh, uh, two summers ago, sorry. Um, And it's been the same for the last several years because we've fought between Mourinho to Nuno to Conte, and then prior to that, we had so many other like names. Like there were there were like people talking about Gallardo. Like there were just so many there was so many names popping. Like Nagelsmann before he even moved to Bayern was being talked about. Like there was there was just so much going on, um, and none of it seemed consistent. Yeah. And like it just yeah, that's going to be quite worrying if we don't kind of. Head in direction, like figure a direction we want to head into, because yeah. it also hurts recruitment as well.
0: From Norgessman to um, from Nagelsmann to Ten Hag in itself is quite different in terms of the players that that you get. But to, the fact that we went from Norgessman to Ten Hag to Nuno, <laughs> it's just crazy to even think that that happened. Um, it kind of says it all about like the people at the top of the club. Um, but Eddie, you mentioned Norgessman. Uh, since we last recorded, Nagelsmann has been sacked by by Munich. And there was like a general assumption that he was just going to slide straight into the Spurs job, which (laughs) at the time just seemed way too good to be true. Um, And I think like straight away, we we were saying in the group chat, we were like, "Mm, if this was going to happen, the reporting would be a bit stronger than how it was being reported. It was more like Spurs are thinking about or Spurs Spurs wants to talk to Nagelsmann, but it was never like, very like direct. It never seemed like we were completely pushing our stall out to try and get Nagelsmann. And in a way, I think it's kind of good. I think the best case scenario would be we can get him to like commit to taking over um, after the summer and get that agreement in place now. But I don't think going from being by by Munich manager one day to then Spurs manager the next would have been a healthy
2: thing for him to do. Let's be honest. No, definitely not. He's he's going to need. He's gonna need some time. and I think like any manager in that situation at this point of the season would do the same. There's there's ten games left to go. I don't think I think unless you're a team in a like in the relegation places where you need to get some sort of manager in, even if it's just about the like last five games or whatever, you do that. But with 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 a project like Spurs, it's not something you can just come into the last ten games. And I think for the reasons that we mentioned on previous podcasts where there's a bit of toxicity around the club at the minute. Um, you might want to wait and see where, where we finish. If we, listen, we, we could end up outside of Europe altogether and it makes the job a whole different proposition. Um, listen, we're still a big club and we've still got good players. But if, if, if we finish seventh or eighth, um, I do think a lot of managers would look at that and think, well, it's, it's not really really the place I want to be going to. Um, and I know there's not really going to be, I mean, there's going to be big jobs in the summer. There's obviously going to be potentially Real Madrid. PSG seems like it's going to open up. But apart from that, there's there's, there's not really many jobs that are going to be going. So I don't know. I think for Nogglesman, he's going to need that time off because it was, it was obviously a big job for him to walk into. I think he was a Bayern fan and sort of just being dismissed in the way he was. Um, I think it would have been a big blow for him. And now he just gets to, he gets to relax until the summer. Look at, look at all these options. He'll definitely be talking to clubs in the meantime because that's, that's just what happens. Um, and hopefully for us, we just have a strong finish to the season, finish in a good place and sort of do enough to convince him. Because for me personally, as soon as I saw the news that he had been sat, that, that was like, that's very clear number one for me. It's not only is it, is it someone who plays really attacking football? He's a he's a he's a modern manager. Um, he's a young manager. He seems like, uh, although he had his issues with certain players at Bayern, um, he seems like he can generally forge a good relationship with his squad. Um, and I know people were making a lot of the issues that he had at Bayern, but it seems like a lot of it was to do with that. There seems to be like a hierarchy at Bayern in terms of of the players. And it seems like he did fall out with some of the some of the players there in terms of like Neuer and Muller, who are obviously like that is that is essentially the dressing room there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and once you lose those guys, I think it, it it becomes it becomes a bit hard to sort of regain the dressing room. And he 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 had a really good relationship with a lot of the almost like the new school of, of Bayern players, like Kimmich and Goretzka. So. I don't know, man. I think for me, that, that is the one we need to go for. If if we can, if if there's any indication that he's interested, I think we should be going all out for him. To be honest. Yeah, and the thing is, he was
0: getting results of Bayern, like that performance the performance I mean, over two legs against PSG. Like, you know, yeah, they just kept them at arm's length.
2: That champions the the Champions League campaign they're having at the moment is might honestly be one of the best Champions League campaigns we're seeing, and it's gone They've really. They
1: barely concede, that they score so many goals.
2: Did they, did they not win every single game in their group in a group of yeah, yeah
1: they've, they've not lost
2: yeah they they dispatched PSG with, with ease they had Barcelona did they have Inter in their group as well I think and yeah, maybe like that, Victoria Pilsen as well who obviously you're, you're yeah. going to beat them but still like they've won every single game and they've been comfortable so uh, it, it's rare that an opportunity like this just falls into your lap um And I think we just need to try and do everything to get it done, to be honest, especially now that it seems like Hotch isn't even a consideration for us.
0: Yeah, that is one thing I was going to mention.
2: Sorry, Eddie, go on.
1: No, I just think that without, if we take the rose-tinted glasses off, that's one of the one, that's one of the one things that is a positive to me, the club aren't looking backwards. Um, They aren't looking to like kind of placate the fans or like go for comfort um because it would be so easy to do that and i don't even think it would be like the worst thing that the club could do but that that might just be an indication that we we are trying to go move forward um mm. and the reason why Stellini and uh and mason are going to be our interim at the moment is because the only other person that they would really the, the, the only other people that they'd really want to take over now are people that they want to see going forward. So that's why I think at the moment Poch was never a consideration because they weren't going to want to bring Poch in for now because they would have to commit to... The, he he would never just be an interim manager, do you know what I mean? Um, so it was either Stellini and Mason or just Mason or it would be the manager that they want to go forward. And I think if now this is kind of an indication that they do want the time to get the person that they want to take over the club moving forward. But, you know, we could just be trying... <laughs> we could just be giving them too much credit. Who knows?
2: Hmm. I do, yeah. I do. I do worry, though. um, Not worry. Sorry, Cozzy. Um while, while I think Poch would be an easy win for Levy in terms of, like, sort of just getting the fan base back together, I do think, like there's an awful lot that could go wrong with Poch as well and I think if Poch was to ultimately not fail again but like if it went really bad and Poch was like a disaster I think that pretty much like that's 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 a line in the sand for for Levy I think for, there would be no going back for fans then I think everyone would turn on turn on Levy because essentially the guy we've we've all wanted back for ages couldn't succeed under him and that's that's it's, it's the reason why everyone wants him back because they think he's going to come back and win something for us. Um, but maybe it is what you're saying as well, Eddie. I think I think hopefully I'd like to think that the club are just looking forward and they're not just sort of like trying to dwell on the past.
0: Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't mind that to be fair. I mean, I, when it's spun like that, I think it actually would be quite positive. Um, but yeah, let's see. Let's hope they they make the right call on the appointment. Um, right, I, I reckon we'll go to a quick break. Uh, and then we'll come back with some questions for part two. All right, welcome back to part two. Um, we're going to take some listener questions in this in this uh, in this part. Um, right, we kind of spoke about Conte and Stellini a little bit, and you know the difference in the styles. But Bell said, "How far removed from Conte school will Stellini prove himself to be, and what went down between Conte and Stellini?" Because I can't lie, when I saw the news, I was like. Stellini's kind of shafted him a little bit there, uh, but as as it's kind of settled, I think it was a case of just Conte just wanted to have a break and he was done, um, yeah. so I don't think it's necessarily beef. Um, but yeah, what do you guys think?
1: I think part of it might just be that like just because Conte's out of the job doesn't mean Stellini has to be, mm. um, especially when he's actually it's, it's a unique situation where Stellini did take over games. And Conte wasn't there. I mean, there aren't many, there aren't too many situations where you can actually say that. And so as we said earlier on in the podcast, it just seemed like a marriage of like convenience and um, kind of like practicality. Um, and I don't think there's anything more insidious than that because they've been working together for almost over a decade. I don't expect there'd be any kind of like backstabbing on Cellini's part, um, especially since Conte's had such a difficult season personally. Um, So yeah, I wouldn't agree with that. Like, there's anything too mad happening back behind the scenes, but who knows? Um, With regards to like how much they're going to differ, realistically, not that much because we saw what Cellini was like, what football was like on the Cellini. The identity is similar. We're playing the same formation. It's just like we had the the handbrake off a little bit. We had there seemed to be a little bit less pressure. There seemed to be a bit more hunger, desire. Um, which is odd because you'd think that with Conte being such a taskmaster and being so like emotive and barking at them on the touchline that there would be, you know, that that energy there, but there wasn't compared to when we have Cellini. So I think that's maybe the added difference. The problem is the sample size is so small. We can't actually say for sure whether that's just like a, a thing with Cellini and Mason or whether it's just like a, it just felt that way because we were already out on Conte. How would
0: you feel if Stellini just came in and just unveiled some mad way of playing football, like the Thiago Motta 272? And he's like, This is my vision. How would you react? <laughs> what do you think, Jed? <laughs> in the
2: keys, man. Let him cook. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, can't any,
0: it can't be any worse than what we've seen on the Conte, <laughs> to be fair. Let him cook. I don't um, know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. Re- related to that, Aaron, Aaron K, uh, fellow presenter of the show, it said, um, "How big is the Emerson loss, and how will we line up under Stellini?" Oh, Fuck knows. We ain't got any players.
2: <laughs> yeah, we ain't got any players.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> so true. The injuries I, I, are piling I, up so much. Emerson, Poro, Richardson.
2: I, I guess the one good thing is that we we are only going to have to play one one game a week now. Mm-hmm. So it's not like Conte's age mate is going to have to be playing three games a week at left-wing back. Um, yeah. But and, and Cessna is coming back as well. But yeah, it's it's just like the fact that we're no longer in any competitions is probably a good thing considering everyone's just dropping left, right and centre. got Emerson, you've obviously got... Uh, Davis. Davis. Yeah, Davis. Uh, Richarlison. Richarlison's going to be back soon. So that's all right. But even so, we still got obviously Basuma and Bentancur out. Yeah, um, I don't know. I'd, I think I think in terms of lining up, it's, it's it's going to be pretty much the same. I think it'll be obviously be Longley, Dyer, Romero, Poro, Perisic back back five. Um, same, yeah. It'll, it'll it'll just be the same same team as it has been for the last couple of months, really. And then it's just it depends if you want to bring Larish straight back in or Forster. And for me. Forster's done enough to keep Larissa at the side now.
0: I agree, but do you think I'm... the fact that he's captain
2: might hold some weight and he'll just come back in? Yeah. Yeah, he'll come back in. He'll definitely come back in, I think.
1: I think the interesting thing might be like, does do players like Dan Jumo get some minutes? I was gonna I hope, say that,
2: yeah. Really hope so.
1: Um, because that to me is like a perfect indication of like Conte's arrogance getting in the way of like potentially someone that could change a game. Yeah. Um because every time Dan June was, was mentioned, he talked about, yeah, this is a, a signing in that, that the club were interested in. And he's he's got like lots of whatever different situations as he would say or, or different aspects to his game. But he didn't give him he gave him them like him Here or here's your minutes, like them kind it's, of minutes. Man. Yeah. Here's yeah. your minutes, damn <laughs> yeah. like they they ain't real minutes. They ain't real minutes. So, um, yeah, hopefully he gets like actual meaningful time to to, to do to, to do something in the game um, and not like three minutes plus added time.
0: Yeah, I, I suppose because Conte's had pretty much his whole season now and the whole of January, Dan Juma's the only one you can really say that about now. Um, but it would have been interesting if Spence and Hill were still there uh, to see how, how that would have had an effect. But... Yeah, I'd say only Juma right now is the only one who's kind of like been left out in the cold, I would say. Um, right, we've got another question from Max, who I know is a Sunderland fan. So I think this will make more sense as I read it. Favourite Spurs lone player and never fall in love with a lone player. And I feel like for clubs in the in the lower leagues, they're more likely to fall in love with, with lone players because we've barely had any. I, like when I think about it, and all the loan players we have are shit. So we're yeah. very unlikely to fall in love with them. Off the top of my head, Carlos Vinicius, Genson Fernandez, yeah. Frazier, oh my Frazier my Campbell. Yeah. There ain't no one
2: falling oh. in love with them. Let's be real. Oh. Let's be real.
0: There's no one falling in love with them. Um,
2: all, our loans, all our loans recently have been like obligations as well. So it's like any loans just turn into basically permanent players for us now. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think-
1: this is the funniest one, though. The worst one it was Laelso because we did fall in love with MoVer alone, that's and then true. we blew. Yeah
2: yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah, because there was genuine questions over whether we were actually going to buy him, and then when we activated it, um, we were all buzzing. Do you know that's that's a mad thing? Because I watched that Jose press conference. You know when I was saying to you guys about like the difference in vibe between like Jose and Ante- and Conte, like even when. Jose had all his players injured like he was still like yeah we're all gonna like pull together in the same direction we're gonna try and get through this this match it was against Leipzig and we ended up getting slapped but the interesting thing about watching that press conference was one of the first questions from from the from the press pack was Giovanni Lo Celso undoubtedly been the star player of your team lately Um, how important is it to sign him up permanently and I was like wow we actually at one point thought Lo Celso really was the answer. It was it was a brief period, but yeah, we thought it. Yeah,
1: he was the only player that was playing in, in that team. I remember.
0: What's that? He was the only I mean, one playing. Player
1: that was actually playing. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah it's true, it's true. Um, but yeah, I think we just we don't really get enough loan players. I would say, but yeah, Eddie did well to pull that one out. I've got to say. Um... Some of these from Bell, like they're just too depressing to even respond to. I don't. E- I don't even know if I want to get into it. Will Kane leave?
1: Uh, depends on the manager we get. I think that's the most diplomatic answer to that.
0: Mm. I did see in the I Daily have, Mail that United are preparing an eighty million pound offer. I would maybe even take that. That's the thing. That's what Paul O'Keefe was saying on Twitter. He was like, "It kind of financially makes sense for supposed to take that." Yeah. I just saw
2: that earlier as well.
1: <laughs> I also think that, like, I, my dad actually asked this question as well. Like, do, does he th- do? We think that Kane will leave. He also <laughs> thinks that we managed to get Conte sacked. That this podcast. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> he was literally saying, "I think you guys got him sacked." To be fair, they listen to you, man. Um, <laughs> Love that. Uh, he he asked if they leave if, if he thinks we think that Kane will leave, and my answer was that. I think I've come to like terms of the with the outcome either way. Like, it, if he stays, good because he's like one of the best strikers in the world, he's one of the best striker in the world. If he leaves, we have to like be able to to move on without him. He's not going to be at the, the club forever, whether he retires or whether he leaves. So, and I think if anything, now is the best time to maybe um, if he were to leave, like now would be the best time for the club because we are going to start brand new and I think you know who knows like players like Goncalo Ramos and, and and all of these like these new talents coming through to start with a talent like that potentially um with the new manager could be could be good for us but naturally I'm not going to want to think about the best player in my lifetime maybe the best player ever at Spurs leaving like it's, it's very difficult
0: yeah, I'd be more inclined to just like keep him till the end of this contract and then let him go. But Eddie, you make a good point because like yeah, if we want a player of that sort of calibre, then we're gonna need the money from that eighty million to actually pay for a new striker. So yeah, maybe we need to get used to the idea that he's going the summer. I, I I must admit I haven't really been thinking about it. Maybe it's just complete denial, but I just haven't been prepared to to be able to think about it really. Yeah, and months. and if
1: you think about it, like a player like Goncalo Ramos would cost around eighty million in this market, maybe
2: even
1: a little bit more. And so
2: I saw a report saying they want one twenty for him.
1: That's a lot of money. I mean, he's twenty one years old. That's the thing. Like, yeah, a lot of money, but he is like part of this new class of strikers. Like, and and he's and he's younger than even the likes of Osimhen, who's like twenty four now. Um. So. But-
0: yeah, I know he was good at the World Cup. Has he been continuing to bang them in? Yeah,
1: he's been great. He's been great for them.
0: Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what kind of... Because say we do get 80 million for Kane, uh, Paul O'Keefe was saying that we'd invest 60 million. What what sort of strikers could you see us, us getting for that? I think,
2: I think there's... The thing is, like, the, the sort of striker that we're going to have to get that is going to come anywhere near to replacing Kane's output, which is difficult in itself, it's, it's almost impossible. Um I d th- I don't think we're gonna get him for that much. No. So I think I think depending on the sort of manager that's gonna come in, um you look you look at what we've got within a squad and let's say hypothetically someone like Nagelsman does come in. You look at someone like Sun or Richardson. um they're almost not not similar types of players. But their are players, who I can imagine doing a similar role to like what uh, Werner did for Leipzig under Na- Nagelsmann um, in terms of like running the channels, being being a nuisance up front. Obviously, they can they can probably press a bit more than Kane would. Um, so for me, if if we had Nagelsmann, even just sticking with someone like Richarlison and Son up top would be would be fine for me. But then investing that money into a a really really good creative player behind them. Yeah. Um uh, it, it doesn't necessarily just have to be replacing re- replacing Kane with an out and out striker. I think I think you can replace in other positions around him that are gonna create more chances for someone like Son of Richardson, as well as getting getting goals themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I I do think we might see Richardson move up front. But um
1: a bit more money ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It
2: doesn't, sound, it doesn't sound great, but like I think in terms of what we can do as a club, I think I think we need to be a little bit more creative and not just think like, oh yeah, we're going to go get Ivan Tony and he's going to bag Kane numbers. I don't think that's going to be the case.
0: I was going to say, what what would you make of Tony coming in for someone with Nog? I mean, I suppose Noggsman used Paulson. Um,
2: yeah, he has similar qualities to Tony, unless unless you go get the Atalanta striker, someone like that who Atalanta are going to want a big fee for him, but. He's, he's clearly a great player and yeah. it's not like this is his first season in Europe. It's not like this is, well, not in Europe, like in the almost, big an, all, almost announcing himself to to the yeah. World stage. So, and obviously that's going to come with a premium, but if it was his second season and he was doing this, they'd probably be demanding like 100 million. I think if you go to Atlanta and give, give them like 50, 60 million for him, they might take that so yeah. like that. I, I don't know that there, there is options there is options mm. okay that's, I laid my fears
0: slightly but yeah no it's like it's like with Haaland when he was at um, Red Bull Salzburg like he was available for like 60 million but it was a big risk because I remember United were came very close to signing him but like everyone was like you know he's so young he hasn't played in like the biggest leagues at least uh, Hoyland it, it, Hoyland right the guy uh, Atalanta, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's he's um at least he's played in the Italian league but you know any of these players are are, are, are massive risks and Kane's a world class player so we're just not really going to we're not going to replace him like for like like you said Jed. um because yeah I still remember us being sat around this table and saying like oh we should get Milik as a uh, oh. competition for Kane
2: that would have oh, been a history. horrible signing
1: Diontek Yeah Biontech.
2: Biontech. yeah, Biontech, yeah we were on our knees at that point though that was when we were talking about William and Jose on loan
0: oh that was when everyone was injured yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: that oh was
1: Mourinho. No. oh no that's
2: what Mourinho had to work with and he actually never complained yeah, yeah
1: facts. they gave like him that. Carlos Vinicius you know
0: Banked against Chelsea
1: oh my days oh, <laughs> bad bad guy was, my guy was celebrating the way he celebrated in the FA Cup was crazy yeah, oh true. yeah Against that's Marine. Oh,
0: no. oh, wow. Okay, that's a cheery way to end it. The absolute <laughs> wastelands that will be- befall Tottenham after Kane goes. But um, yeah, thanks for Might listening. Be- um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's any other things you guys want to cover. I think that's pretty much it.
1: Yeah, I think that's it. And I think we just to quickly go back to the manager th- uh, talk um, and talking about moving forward we said that you put on the running order that Nagelsmann, if we were to go with Nagelsmann, if we were to go all out for Nagelsmann, that's the blend of what Tottenham have been trying to do and what Tottenham should be doing. Um, and, at, like, in terms of an established manager, kind of big name in, in, in that aspect. Um, but he also plays attacking football. He's got an identity. His teams have played with an identity. Um, and so... Yeah, like we've we're all enamoured with the idea. It's whether or not he's enamoured with the idea of Spurs, which at the moment, like, why would you? If PSG and, and Real Madrid are knocking at the door. Obviously those are probably the two most poison chalice jobs you can you can get in Europe, aside from maybe Chelsea. Um so that's, there's that aspect. But listen, Tottenham is not a prize at the moment. It's not we're not we, we're not we cannot compete with these teams, really. And so it has to be, we have to find a way of making it an attractive prospect for Nagelsmann. And that will be, we we allow it, we, we will invest, we will we will get the players that you need to pay, the football that you need. Um, and we said this before Conte got, even got sacked. The club, if Enoch want to move forward, they have to have the courage to give someone that they trust the keys and the and the resources to do something great with Tottenham because it's there. Like we we have we have a we have the platform. We have the stadium. We have the training ground. We're not. This not is. This is not a time to go backwards.
0: Yeah, everything is there, but the football. Yeah, we need to get that right. That's the problem at the moment. But yeah, if you've made it this far, um, give us a review on Spotify um, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, share the podcast across the social media. Um, yeah, help us grow it. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, boys. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers,
1: man.